Welcome to Teeth and Titanium, a podcast about oral surgery, residency, and life. We would like to thank the Canadian Association of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery for their continued support. All opinions expressed in this podcast by the hosts and their guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of the CAOMS. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for surgical decision making. All right, everybody, welcome back to Teeth and Titanium. This is episode 14. Oscar, how's it going? It's been busy. It's been a busy couple of weeks. You, you've been busy. I have been busy. Usually it's you that I'm like, oh my gosh, well, how does this guy get through all these things? But I think this time I've been the busier one. Well, what's funny is now that I've moved back and I'm getting settled back into like prior practice and academic life, we're kind of like getting closer before I was fellowship, moving, constant operating every day in the OR, crazy stuff. And now I'm getting more into a similar-ish routine to you. So we're like closer than we've ever been as far as I feel crazy like things going on. A hundred percent. Like I feel like before you were still not in resident because you're a fellow, but in the resident life, right? Where everything was based around your fellowship. Now you're actually having a real life. So we have way more things in common that were going on. Exactly. And funny story today. I mean, we're, we're recording this live because now we said last episode, like yeah. we're in the city. It was way more fun. We, we both said doing this live, but I showed up at your house today. I rang the doorbell. You opened the door and he's like, you thought you were getting robbed or something. You're like, who is this guy? So like, yeah, like it's kind of dark outside. And and even like my wife, actually first I'm going to say my wife opens the door and she's like, oh, someone at the door. I'm like, who the f- who's coming this late to our house? And then I'm like, oh, you're here to film. I forgot. <laughs> oh man. Even for me, it was weird hearing you say your wife. So I mean, we got to jump into that. Obviously we had, we, we hyped up your wedding. It occurred. It was great time. But from you, I mean, it's always different from the groom side. How'd it go for you? Honestly, so the day, like again, being married, I don't think changed anything for me and Lex. We've been together for seven years. We've lived together for a long time. So nothing really changed in that sense, but we had an awesome time. Like it was a really, we had a pretty small wedding. COVID kind of caused that, but also kind of didn't. We preferred it that way. So it ended up being exactly what we wanted. We had a great time. Can't really complain. Am I happy that it's also done? Yes, because there are headaches that come with planning, family issues that people talk about. Mm-hmm. But overall, yeah, we wouldn't change anything. We had a great night. Yeah, that was awesome. It was, it was cool also at the church ceremony because you finally got to meet Lennox. Yeah. Oh, he's a stud. And like, <laughs> he's like the best baby. So well, this is funny. Lennox had like the best behaved like, <laughs> two hours of his entire life no because it's funny because you're like i don't know like if we can bring him i don't know about this like he's not that easy and then he comes to the church i pretty much get to pick him up yeah. he just comes with me and hangs out with me and i'm like okay this is the best child i've ever had <laughs> yeah uh, so that was amazing yeah he had a great two hours so it gave the false impression of just your bliss at home probably <laughs> of easiness yeah exactly yeah. so yeah that was really cool and then after your wedding you know you managed to actually sneak in a honeymoon so yeah i purposely not talked to you about this because i wanted to get kind of a live reaction how was the honeymoon i was contemplating not coming back i was like wendell let's just do the, <laughs> let's do the podcast virtually i'm going to stay in spain so i, I might have showed up at your house today and you'd be like no i'm still in spain <laughs> the keys in the mailbox you can go in <laughs> yeah. no it was it was another thing that was amazing i keep saying that but it was like it was just nice to get away me and so we went to spain so we went to barcelona valencia and mallorca and me and lexi have been fortunate to be big travelers we go away quite a bit so this year again first rule problems mm-hmm. last year and a half we haven't traveled so it was just nice to be somewhere else in terms of like restrictions Pretty similar to here. Wear a mask indoors. If you're not, you don't have to wear a mask. To fly double vaccinated, you have to show everything. To come back, you have to show everything. But really, there were no headaches going there or coming back. Being there, 
is beautiful. Like Mallorca is the nicest place I've ever been to. Like it's, it's oh, wow. stunning. That island, I could I could live there, no question. But overall, I think the biggest thing was just nice to get away. How long do you go away for? We went away for 12 days. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. It's a good amount of time. Exactly. Like we were, I wouldn't say we were ready to come home because we didn't want to come home, but it's a nice time where you're like, when you come home, you're like, oh yes, I missed some things at home. So it was nice. Yeah. I find after two weeks, you start to get a little homesick. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So then now you've been back at work this week? Yeah, I've been back at work. That's the funny thing too. You go away, you think everything's going to change. You come back, it's exactly the same. Okay. Nothing changes. Yeah, you're, so you're, you're right back. In you're right back at work, right? We both go back into our work schedules. Nothing really changes. Nice. That's awesome. So one other thing I wanted to ambush you live so you have time to prepare is when you flew on your honeymoon, which economy class, first class, where were you? Oh, so that's, that's a funny question you asked me actually because Lexi can't hear you because she'll get pissed at me. I'm, I love doing nice things and I am not like afraid of spending money on certain things. But one of the things that I can't get myself to spend money on is a first class ticket. Okay. Because I just think it's so much more price for the reward you're going to get back. Like I feel like, so like I'll give you an example. If you're going to fly first class to Spain right now, it's like an $8,000 ticket. Oh, wow. I cannot justify that mm -hmm. for that flight because I can sleep in a cubicle. So oh, okay. I'm pretty much asleep before the plane taxis out. And yeah. then when I land, I'm like, I didn't realize you're that I was easy sleeping. Yeah. So it's there. So it's, I would, it'd be very hard for me. I'm not going to decline it. If you offer me a first class ticket, <laughs> I'm going to take it, but it'd be hard for me to pay for one. So economy. Oh yeah, because uh, I was thinking about this. I was like, you know, Oscar, he always gets flight deals. He's yeah, always no. looking for like the best deal. Yeah, but it's a honeymoon, and now he's like this big shot private practice. No, guy. is he gonna sell out? No chance. So I'm, I'm impressed because <laughs> I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know, what to know. No, I will say on my behalf too. I so I can't fall asleep easily. Like it's really you can't? hard. Oh, no, it's, oh. Uh, I and you're tall too. I'm tall, so my knees hit. Yeah, the end, but yeah. even then, so it's nice when you get like an exit row. Sometimes that's kind of nice, but as you said, the first class, the price difference, it's not like a minimal thing. It's huge it's astronomical i've gone before on points though and the other problem is once you go first oh, class you can't go back you can't and again that's the one thing i will say people who are able to acquire enough points that's the way to do it mm -hmm. like for sure now we sound like a like a visa ad <laughs> <laughs> and we recommend this yeah yeah exactly <laughs> hey visa you want to sponsor us let aeroplane us know. anytime <laughs> aeroplane let us know <laughs> All right, that's awesome. So I'm glad you had a good time on your honeymoon. And uh, yeah, we missed you, so it's nice to have you back. Now that we were done with that, let's jump into some uh, current events. All right, Oscar, so one of the things I wanted to bring up with you, because you know, you've been tanning in the sun, some of us have been working away, you know, back <laughs> yeah. here. As you know, I'm, I'm almost like a month now into prior practice. It's nice, I'm catching up on the things that you've been doing for a while now and, and learning from your, your partners. So, we do we do a lot of GA or, or you know IV sedation. Let's call it deep IV sedation and yep. private practice like everyone else does. And I had an experience where I had a patient that was known to be asthmatic, mm -hmm. a smoker. I mean, great combination already. Bad combination, and but we get so many asthmatic yeah. patients. I mean, you get them all the time. Yeah. So you do the normal things. You ask them, okay, have you taken your puffer? Is your puffer here? Have you been hospitalized recently? How often does it happen? What brings it on? You know, triggers, all that kind of stuff. And I'd say, you know, most of the time. Oh, when I was a kid, or I barely to take my puffer, yeah. or I haven't been hospitalized. This patient was taking her puffers regularly. We gave her two puffs of insulin pre-op, and we're listening to her lungs, and she's wheezing. She's yeah. still wheezing. So this is you know, my already a red flag. Yeah, red flag. I'm kind of dealing with this. So you know, I was just thinking. I was thinking. Okay, well, you know, it's my first experience with this in prior practice. There's no one else in the office besides me. I'm just thinking, okay, let's say she does have a severe asthmatic attack or a bronchospasm or something or starts descent. Like, what am I going to do? Well, other than airway management, 
I'm going to go to my rescue medication, which is Ventolin. Yep. And if she just took two puffs and sounds this bad, I just got a bad feeling about it. So I canceled. I canceled the case. She was NPO, so obviously, you know, they're always a little bit upset and you kind of have to explain to them. But I felt really good about it, like canceling. It, it ruins your whole day, too, because there's so much time allotted and, you know, it, there's it, billing involved and stuff like that. But I felt really good canceling it. I was going to say it ruins your day, but it saves your day. Yeah. And you know what? It doesn't ru- It ruins your day, but it saves your month mm-hmm. and your week and your year. And like you'll learn that more and more that sometimes it's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. And I think you doing that that quickly, like a month in is really smart because sometimes it takes a bad experience to mm-hmm. learn that. And you just learned it on your own. I'm trying to avoid the bad experience yeah. because that's the thing is we all kind of know the warning sign, but when 99% of the time everything goes smoothly, it's hard to think, Oh, is this really going to go that bad? And who knows? Might've been fine. Try and use ketamine, use this, but yeah. The chance just, that it would have been fine, but, but in the small chance that it's not, it's why? Not, yeah, it's not worth it's it. It's not worth it. Yeah. So uh, she's going to follow up with like her kind physician, try and quit smoking, and then she can come back another time. But we'll see what happens. In a similar line, you know, had a first pediatric case. How old? Seven. Yeah. Seven years old. So now we're getting to the same thing. I work at office. Principal is very comfortable with so she gets PAL certified. I'm yeah. PAL certified. Been doing it for many years. Kind of. No, luckily, he was there to walk me through this and kind of oh, nice. guide me. So nice. that helped. And they have like a specific protocol based on weight and their kids' reactions like that. Coached the kid through it, coached the parents through it. Everything went totally fine. It was difficult, but everything went fine. But once again, another example, don't have kind of a GA suite or medical anesthetist in our office, at least right now. So didn't feel the most comfortable doing that either. Yeah. And so that's not meant to for me to tell you what's right or wrong or tell anybody what's right or wrong for that. Because how many oral surgeons are doing this in the country and in the States and everywhere in the world without GA capabilities? But I will say... Once you have the GA ability and to just bring your pediatric patients on a GA day, you're never going to go back. Like, so you'll never so, go back. So this is first class. That's so, flying first class. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The great yeah. analogy. So just to refresh the, the listeners, they might remember from our previous episode when we talked about GA days. So your practice, you guys have like a medical anesthesiologist that comes in, runs the GA for you, and yep. you can book cases. So for you, it's easy now. Anytime you see a kid, is there an age cutoff you use, like 12 or 10? Or so 12 is mine. Okay. Yeah. Under 12, it's just booked on my GA day. Exactly. So you don't have to worry about it. There, there's not even a, yeah, it's not even a thought process anymore. It's like, okay, here's your age group. Okay, perfect. You're on my GA day. And just for those that are interested, I mean, we have listeners from all across Canada. Obviously, it's going to be different in each environment. And this is something we actually talked to today's guest about. But according to the RCDSO, which is like the governing body in Ontario, 12 and over, you're fine. 12 and under, if it's mild like oral sedation, you just have to be certified in GA, which we all are. Yep. But if it's 12 and under and it's like an IV station, a deep sedation, or even moderate, you have to be PAL certified. You can yep. do 10 cases a year. There's like a lot of more stringent criteria. And that's the thing, like you're saying, it's not just being PAL certified because we all get PAL certified, but it's if you're not doing enough cases, technically you don't meet their qualifications either. Yeah, and 10 cases is not a lot. No, it's not. Think about how many cases you need to do for something to go wrong. So we're only doing 10. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's a scary. So that's another thing I need to, to be honest, I need to think about that more going forward and how our office or how I will handle that going forward for now. It was a good experience at least, but it was definitely a nerve-wracking one. The next thing I want to talk about is I had my first OR, is it both Brampton, the local community hospital that I take call oh, at. Oh, yeah. And then also at Mount Sinai, which is, you know. My with, home. With, yeah, your <laughs> home with U of T, with the residents. That's um, exciting. So you get both perspectives. You get community hospital, residency program. Yeah, very different, obviously. For sure. 
the two hospitals. For the Brampton Hospital, luckily I got to go with my principal, Dana Moore. He had a bunch of orthodontic surgery cases that were delayed oh, because of COVID. That's ideal. It was the dream. Yeah. It was amazing. So he had a couple of forts and a Sarpy. So went to the OR. He's the principal. I got to assist. Kind of a lot of what you do when you yeah. go to the OR with uh, your Crescent guys. That's fun. You know, just doing jaw surgery per day. It was, that's it was, amazing. Like, what else could you ask for? Exactly. And I always joke with him and I say that, you know, after doing a fellowship, I'm more comfortable doing jaw surgery than I am like taking out teeth. Taking out teeth and doing an implants yeah. at this point. So it was fun. I got to show him some of the stuff I learned. He showed me uh, some of the ways he, he does stuff. So that was a really good experience and, and it went well with the patients. And then at Sinai, there was just an extra OR that was assigned to me. So I'm still building out my patient yeah. population there. Like you just started. Although, to be honest, now that I've done like maybe four or five months, I already have people on my list. Just because you get referred yeah. to pathology, for example. And because that's what the hospital-based practice is, you're just going to build a patient pool very quickly. It's not like a private practice where you're like, I'm not going to take this to the OR. Right? Yeah. yeah. Because as you said, people are getting more and more comfortable doing stuff in their office or organization or have GA days. So the stuff they refer to the hospital, a lot of times they're referring it to the OR. Yeah. And you're the person that has OR time. So definitely getting that. And that was the OR. We did a mandible fracture, infection case, and like a dental alveolar case. But that's that's a nice start. You do things that you're really comfortable with, like you just finished a fellowship in orthognathic, and then in your second OR with residents, you do trauma, which again, you're super comfortable yeah. with. Like Red it's the ideal. Yeah. yeah, and it was like an easy mandible fracture. I get to work with the residents for the first time. Uh, yeah, it went really well. I was really happy, and it was nice. It was and nice. I, I haven't heard anything bad through the residents, so it must have went well. <laughs> so yeah, it was good to be back in the OR, and, and more ORs coming up, so that'll be fun to kind of update people on. You know, Amos is coming this month. A bunch of us are going down to Nashville. I'm going because I'm presenting yeah. an abstract MRE, so I'm excited to do that and see how that does. The last time I presented uh, an abstract at a conference, we, we both know how, how great it went at the, at the, with CT <laughs> I, Reed. And... I hope it goes that well. <laughs> <laughs> we all know this is now on the American music, like home turf, so yeah. we'll see. We'll see how that goes. And really excited to go down there. And then also I did a lecture for Orthomathy, but that was kind of one of those pre-recorded ones because some are available yeah. online, some are in person, like a hybrid event, but definitely looking forward to that. And it's a joint meeting with the CMS. So I have to go so down to the executive committee meeting and stuff like that. So yeah, there's gonna be a decent amount of campaigns. It'll be fun. And then definitely looking forward to that at the end of this uh, month. Other things that are going on, remember I told you that CT Reed was being kind of taken over by the AO Foundation yep. to be managed in a new version. New version is so much better. It's really, really good. The residents are gonna love it. That's actually launching this month to like a new increased test group. And then if everything goes well and there's no glitches or errors, then it kind of goes global next month. I like how you say so much better. And it's usually you, I tell you not to toot your own horn, but this mm -hmm. one you should though, because the only reason it's so much better is because you gave them a platform to make better. The right? AO platform is so much better. And what people don't realize is, you know, the first course I built by myself. That's what I'm saying. No like, experience. No, no, you need credit for that. Yeah, they'll make it better, but it's a massive company behind this, right? You gave them the idea. I had a video editor. Yeah. I had a website designer. There was a designated project manager. Yeah, like it's at a different it's, scope. It's a totally different. They're so professional. Everything's like, it was amazing. Yeah. So that was really good. So definitely looking forward to the launch of that next month. As you know, with U of T, continuing with the Surge Ortho Clinic, you know, sometimes your name comes up at the Surge Ortho Clinic. Oh, uh, terrible. No, it's kind of annoying. I mean, you, you saw I was with Monica, a nurse that you worked with. Oh, she's, that I worked with she's there, not, not only at, at UT, but mostly at Mount Sinai. But anytime someone finds out I'm friends with you, there was, oh, Oscar, they were like, Delahoy. Yeah, they're, they're, they have all these nicknames for you. I haven't, I haven't heard anything bad about you yet. I'm waiting. They're all lying. <laughs> I'm waiting for someone to talk trash yeah. about you, but I don't know what kind of Houdini act you pulled in your residence. Exactly. I was a magician there. <laughs> Four years of like pure bliss. Yeah. So that was pretty impressive. Yeah, so been keeping busy at work. It's been going really well so far, no complaints. It, it is, it's funny. 
And it's exciting for me to hear your stories because you're now at what was my home for four or five years, pretty much. Right. And yeah. I did enjoy it. I had an awesome time. And now seeing you there and I'm and also seeing that what you're going to bring to the program, it is exciting for me to see that. Like, it's awesome. Well, that's just it. This, this UT surgery other plant that you talked about, it's, it's actually way more involved and way better than I thought it was. I thought it was Wednesday afternoons is a clinic where you guys work with the orthodontic residents and see surgery patients. Yeah. I'm like, that's already amazing because you get this pool of patients, you get to work with ortho residents, and you just get more volume of yeah. surgery. I didn't realize there's this whole curriculum. There's like orthodontist lecturing. Yeah. You got Kamini lecturing. Fritz Keenley's there. He's super nice. He lectured today. Like I'm honestly going there and I'm learning. I'm listening from these guys that are more experienced than me. I'm like, this is where I want to be. Yeah. This is what I want to do. And like kind of just soak in all the experiences. And yeah, like you, you just did a year of fellowship in the, like in every part of it, but you did a lot of cutting, right? So mm -hmm. clinically you're going to be really talented, but learning more of the planning part and continuing to learn that and be like, okay, that's, you're doing it that way or you're doing it this way and having an ortho sit beside you and be yeah, like, especially it's, the ortho it's being so there. different. Yeah. It was funny. The orthodontist today was giving kind of a, the basics of orthodontics for like first year orthodontic mm -hmm. residents and, and for oral surgeons. And I was just listening there. And even over kind of the basics of like brackets and movements and stuff like that. And some of it I remember from like dental school back in the day, but it was funny because there's a lot of basics. And I was like, I wish I had this. Yeah. And I was like a first year resident. Yeah. Because you need to learn these like it obvious, does matter. basic things that everyone assumes you know. A hundred percent. Like sometimes they go in and they talk to you and you're like, what is going on? And if you just had that from the start, it makes your life so much easier. So that's it for our current events. Our next section is going to be an interview we have lined up. As you know, every other episode we like to have a guest. This month, we are pleased to have Miller Smith. For those of you that don't know, I, I mean, I'd be shocked if you don't know who he is by now. But Miller Smith is the current president yep. of the COMS, oral surgeon. He works in Calgary. And uh, we wanted to bring him on to talk about not only the COMS and getting involved and, and kind of what that involves and what's going on, but kind of oral surgery in general in Canada. What yep. is the state? What, what are the threats and what's going on? And I think it's exciting, too, because he's, for those who don't know, like if you're listening from the States, he's from a different province, what you would call a different state. Mm -hmm. So it gives a different perspective, even for us here, of what we're doing in Ontario compared to what he's doing out in Alberta. Yeah, because as we'll talk about, they have some very different policies, yep. kind of provincial guidelines. So... Without further ado, here's our interview with Miller Smith. All right, we'd like to welcome on to the show none other than Miller Smith. Miller, how's it going? I'm doing fantastic. How are you guys doing? Good, thanks. We're doing we're doing good. You know how the podcast kind of works. We don't like all these fancy introductions with, you know, that he went to university here and he did this fellowship and blah, blah, blah. We just like, you know, for people to get kind of a, a two-second, you know, snap of who you are and I mean, you're an oral surgeon, you're in Alberta, and your wife runs your life. That is a very short bit of who I am. Well, I'm disappointed that you wouldn't present me just like I present everybody else on the webinars. I'll accept that. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to avoid the webinar introductions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're pre-canned. I just have to read them off, so... Listen, I'm not blaming you at all. For conferences, it's the same. I mean, I would do the same thing. Yeah, I was hosting a webinar... Oscar do the same thing, but it's great to have you on. We got a ton of stuff to talk to you about. The first thing we wanted to mention, and we, we talked about this a little bit before you came on in our introduction, but you're the CAOMS president. You're the outgoing president. You've been president the past year. How has it been going? I mean, obviously it was a tough year. What have you been happy with? Maybe what do you wish you could have done kind of heading to the end of your term? Wendell, I am happy it's almost over. <laughs> 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 I love that answer. 
joking aside, I think it's been a super rewarding experience. It's been a very transitional and translational experience. Who would have known that basically Zoom and technology would be running our lives over the past 19 months and that everyone's adopted it so well. And the biggest things that you've already spoken to, both with your own podcast and it gaining popularity, as well as our social media campaign that we're running with Tony Chahadi and our new marketing team with Natalia Porras. All of those together, along with us rolling out our, our webinar, has had a much bigger success than we initially anticipated. So That's great. I think from that standpoint, I'm taking that as a, a win. From the standpoint of trying to host a national meeting and everyone be there and giving high fives and hugs, clearly <laughs> we're nowhere near that yet. Yeah. And that's, and no that's, hugs. Uh, no, no hugs. COVID hugs. We'll, we'll figure out a new COVID hug. Yeah. That is doing a lot in a very difficult year, right? Like no one was prepared for this year. So like you said, getting the things that you got accomplished, making Zoom and these webinars so important, I, I think is a big deal. In terms of what would you say the general goals are for the COMS? So the biggest goals are currently, and our biggest goal actually over the past three years, we met at one of our uh, national executive meetings and tried to frame where we wanted to be in 10 to 15 years. And the top two biggest ones are how do we recruit more members? As you know, just like with you, with your podcast, how do you get more people signing on? Yeah. The biggest one is, and it's hard to believe that we only currently capture maybe 60 to 70% of actual surgeons practicing in Canada. So the more we can reach out to them, we know that some people prefer mail and some people prefer email and some people yeah. prefer neither and some people prefer <laughs> phone calls. It's trying to get as many people on board and offer them services that they are going to find to be rewarding. So that's where we're, we've been really investing a lot of time in nice. education through the webinars, a lot of time in doing our monthly mail outs. And certainly Ellen has been a huge determinant in making that a successful endeavor. If she didn't poke me every month to make sure that I got him <laughs> out on time. <laughs> I like President's Corner. I, I always read it. I like yeah. it. I love the quote at the bottom and it's kind of nice seeing, I don't know, I, I enjoy perspective each time I read it. I will tell you that the quote at the bottom, I have never quoted anything in my life, like ever. And I found it just to be something just a little bit different to kind of sum up that month. Because it, it seems like we're living month to month and yeah. you can't predict the next month. So what's most applicable now? And hopefully we can look to the future. So that that was my biggest Roll in trying to roll out the the quotes through that. I think it's okay to freeze in the past month. I mean, I was the CA OMS member of the month. We actually didn't bring that up before. Oh, we did. We can just that. we can just stop in that month. We, we can end that kind of segment of the email and just leave that. Or we can fast forward. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because if I would have known that was happening, and you just barely finishing fellowship, I would have been like, "No way, we gotta have." <laughs> We got to veto so, that guy. Yeah. Why isn't Oscar already there? Right? He's been pounding it out for a few years, trying to make his way up the rank. Yeah. Has to host Wendell at his house? Come on. Well, I, ironically, I mean, if we're going to talk kind of inside baseball behind the curtain, Ellen had approached Oscar and I 
I think someone had nominated us, maybe it was last year or something like that, to be joint members of the month, like together. And I told Ellen a couple of things. The first thing I said was that I feel like it's too early. I said in my career, I mean, I just, I just graduated. I'm in the middle of fellowship. It's too early for me. And for Oscar, sure, he could do it. And I also felt like we have this podcast, Oscar and I are best buds. But I mean, can we not get some separation, separation. at some point? Yeah. Like, do I really have to share this with Oscar? Again, you showed up at my house today. Yeah. <laughs> so, we, so we rejected it. And then... <laughs> Oscar, Oscar was writing his and then you swooped in. <laughs> and Wendell's like, I'm faster at emailing. So, <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, I mean, you're asking me again. I'm not in fellowship anymore. It's a, yeah. great, it's a great time to accept the nomination. Why not? You're like, I'll take it this time. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's good. No, no, fair um, enough. So you talked about membership and how important that is to your goals. Why... Should an oral surgeon in Canada be a CAMS member? What's the benefit you think for them? It's super interesting that you asked me that, Wendell, because ironically, I think that you've just been recently brought on into that role. So why don't you answer that? Membership executive. So you're asking yourself the question. <laughs> yeah. But, but what I was trying to do here in, 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 you know, in advance of my first executive meeting. You're like, let me get some tidbits here. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, maybe I'll ask Miller. Yeah. And then I'll be able to kind of pick up some tips like, oh, that's a good line. He, I he just accepted you. He just owned you on that he one. He just completely turned on me. Listen, what I, what I would say, I mean, if we, it kind of, as you said, we do this on the podcast is the number one thing for me is community. Yeah. Oral surgery is such a hyper-specific specialty. There are so few of us in Canada. And then you think of how many there are in your province. And then you think how many are in your city yeah. and then how many in your office. Now, I'm fortunate that I'm in Toronto, so there are like probably too many oral surgeons yeah. in Toronto. We probably need to get rid of some of them. <laughs> but a lot of people, they work in rural areas. You know, they're kind of disconnected from other you're, oral surgeons. You're on an island. You're on an island. Yeah. And no one else can really relate to what you're going through. I think the community of the association brings us together. Yeah, I think that's the number one most important thing. From a benefits point of view, I think attending the annual meeting, not only do you get CE, you get good networking, you get to learn from your colleagues and see what they're up to. And you will honestly, I feel, become a better surgeon and a better practice manager by learning from others. That's why we bring guests on the show because we wanna bring people that have been doing this long enough, have more experience, they know things, and they can kind of, it's free education for us. We're getting, yeah. we're getting taught. And the last thing I would say is, it's supporting your specialty. If you're not a COMS member, you're pretty much saying, I don't really need a community. I don't owe oral surgery anything. And I think oral surgery has given us such a good life. Yeah. The least we can do is just pay our minimal dues and support the association that's representing us on our behalf to the National Association. And it's funny, like we all, I think we all complain about like our jobs here and there, but it is a privilege to have the job that we have or the profession. It's not really a job, the profession we have. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I agree with you. And kind of along that point that you were asking, Miller, it would be, what do you think the biggest risk to our specialty moving forward is? So before you go to that, I just wanted to point out to Wendell, Wendell, you wrote, read my lines perfectly. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> Un <Yeah>. Unedited. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sending me that text message that I could just read. I will say he was looking at his phone a lot. <laughs> no, it's perfect. And th that's what you can't see on uh, on a podcast. So Listen, Miller, I spoke from the heart. You put me in the spot and now you're saying I just spoke your words. So I'll take that as a compliment. Absolutely. 100%. No, but along those same lines, and before I get to Oscar's question, which I've already since forgotten, it's going beyond that 
as soon as we can reach out with our new website and touch uh, base with more surgeons, whether they are members or not, and they find a utility with the website, with the communications, and just as you said, bringing them together into the community and not making them feel as though they're alone out there or exclusively a solo practitioner. I think that's the biggest win for us as an organization, us moving forward and you know evolving our community type involvement. And that currently also includes things like the ski and learn. So not everybody skis, so not everybody goes to that, but those that do really participate and enjoy it and return year after year. Chad Robertson set up the bike and learn, and it's essentially the exact same feature. Those that love biking come one year, may not come the next year, but but really get quite a few rewards out of it and learn from others because essentially we're all learning from each other, whether it's talking about surgery or or practice or something else. And other features like that have been discussed in the past. We just haven't had enough go-getters to sit down and organize them and, and put them together to, to be rewarding. But things like golf have been talked about. I'm sure, you know, should we want to go and jump on a yacht somewhere and all have a yacht party. <laughs> I was gonna, that's the first one that I, that's the yeah, first that, one that Oscar, I, that Oscar's the first, all in on that That's one. the first one I can partake in because I don't ski. You don't bike. I don't bike and I don't golf. So it's like, yeah, I'm down for the yacht. But, but you'd be great on a yacht yeah, party. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Caminiti Yacht and Learn right there. there There's go. my shout out to Marco. I'm going to see how many shout outs I can do. Yeah, that is nice. I mean, I will say I was at surgical ortho clinic with Marco and Fritz, and they were debating what boat station by. I was like, <laughs> there you go. This is above my pay grade. I'm just going to go back to my. You're like, uh, I'm going to go drink my water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah but um, every boat needs a first mate, Wendell. That's what you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is really nice to hear. And for people will agree in that you're establishing ways to people get together, ways to learn not just about the specialty, but about the way they run their practice, the way they do surgery, the way they run their life. Like I think all these things are building a good community. And so that goes back to my question. What do you think are the biggest risks to our specialty moving forward? The current biggest risk I see is actually our own risk of not getting involved. So if you would have asked me exactly 10 years ago when I finished my fellowship, just like Wendell did, coming back, I knew at that time there was very few people doing uh, much in the way of either cleft craniofacial or pathology and head and neck reconstruction. There was a few of us, but not many. And as soon as I came back and as soon as I wanted to make a name for myself or try and do any of those, whether it's in the local community or provincially or even nationally, I found very quickly that unless we all assimilated together and worked together as our own group, there was no way to continue to promote it. So very, very quickly, myself, Graham Cobb, Chad Robertson, and uh, Curtis Gregoire formed the Moores Group, so Maxillofacial Oncology Reconstructive Surgery Group, which then presented to the CAOMS. And similar side groups have also developed, whether it's the cosmetic or the cleft craniofacial. So I think that's the biggest one, that if we're not involved and you don't need to be political, you don't need to be wanting to go out and do absolutely everything, but the more that you can either do at a local level or at a provincial level, or even at a national level of helping others out, I think 
and helping yourself out. I think that's the, the biggest factor I've gleaned from it. So if we don't do anything, we're not going to be a specialty. There are others, just as you said, we're a small group. So Perio is a much bigger group. Perio could, you know, very easily step into our shoes in certain aspects and fulfill that role if we let them. And the the good news is, is we are different from Periodonis and I'm not there to offend any Periodonis, but we're different because we have a, a very keen role in a hospital and medical setting. And for those of us that take that on and work more full-time, all the power to them. Those that try and do it a little bit, as you said, Wendell, in one of your past podcasts, I think it was private... Pracademics. Private pracademics. 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 That's what yeah, Miller came up with. I was like, that's even worse than mine. I thought it was even worse. I mean, Oscar, I guess you'd be the, you'd be the judge. He says pracademics. I say I said private. You said pra- pracademics. Yeah, private pracademics. He said just privademics. Well, I would prefer, honestly, privademics. Why? Because it's one. You're saying private pracademics. Well, being that privademics has been a term used for 20 or 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm going to beg to differ on that one. <laughs> I don't like having Miller on. I'm getting called out. He's getting. Yeah. No, normally on the show is my able. The show's a nice, you know, ego booster. Yeah, I can just say things that yeah. no one ever. You never questioned me. No, because honestly, I don't care that much. But Miller's <laughs> just calling you out, and I like it. <laughs> he's he's still in shock that you showed up at his house on a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, private demics or even exclusively private practice. Those that are in private practice, the only way that they benefit is they have to go out, they have to recruit new people, they have to make a name for themselves at their community level. And and that's where I feel we may not move forward as fast as we could just because we have such a small number of our membership. I think similarly, as we're seeing across the country, there's regulators, different provinces really allowing for general dentists to expand their scope, which is beneficial for us, but also can be problematic if if we're not trying to assist with that or advocate on our own behalf. And then lastly, if we're not involved in the hospital or we're just loosely involved in a very minimal role, just as you you will soon come to find out if if you're not around, they they call other specialties who can do it or may not be able to do it as good as you, but can certainly fill that role. Yeah, and I'm, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's, I mean, okay, this is the podcast where we're all like, all the knives are out and we're calling people out. Miller's saying, you know, working in the hospital, taking calls at public service. Oscar, it'd be nice if you joined the party. Oh. I know you're a little bit busy making money, but it'd be nice if you joined the party a little bit. That, that is early on. <laughs> My door's over there. No, but like hearing Miller talk about it, it, it is true. Like, it's not, I wouldn't say it's selfish not doing that, but it is maybe not playing your full role. That, or, that... Or, or if you're not going to, which is, we you know, people have their own lives, their own decisions, you know, whatever. Just try and support the people that are because they're helping your specialty and the name of your specialty uh, reputation. Just try and help them out any way you can. A hundred percent. Like, and, and all jokes aside, I do think we have to give credit to the people that, let's say, if you're not the one doing that, mm-hmm. then your community that is doing that. Like for us, a lot of people will refer their patients to the UFD program. 
but it's not good enough just to refer. You should acknowledge that program. Like when it comes time to take the courses that they offer, take the courses. When it comes time to donate money for like a fundraiser, donate money. Like mm-hmm. I think you have to play a role in some way. Maybe you're not doing it by your clinical actions, but do it in another way so that you you can help the specialty the way you can. And some people do. They'll teach at the school, for yeah. example, like one day a month or help yeah. the dental students. You know, they'll try and give back in little ways. I mean, every little bit it helps. Makes it- Is that what you do, Oscar? Uh, teach at the faculty? Yeah. No, I'm two years out. I'm still learning. You know, Millie, you briefly mentioned during your response, you know, you're working on the website. CMS has long had a website that's been a little bit dated and you're trying to refresh it and launch something new. I know you can't talk about it in detail, but just very briefly, you're able to give us a little bit of a, a preview or a sneak peek kind of when you think that will be coming and what are the main things you're excited about when it comes to the new website? I don't want to scoop Tony, but essentially we're going to likely release it in Nashville in a portion of its form. It still has some final edits to go through, but I think it's going to be a very important release, both for all members within the CMS and hopefully those that want to join because it will have a lot of very functional features, both for patient education, informing our membership about these different courses that we may be hosting, whether it's webinars, whether it's your podcast, whether it's other social media marketing strategies, Instagram. I think there's a lot of people out there that within surgery, we really haven't capitalized on Instagram or TikTok as much as some of our other specialties have. And I think that could be our next way forward. So anyone listening out there, definitely if you're a TikTok phenom and you're either a surgeon currently or a resident practicing to be a surgeon and you feel like we could get out a few tidbits and release those nationally on CMS. I think we're all open to that. Certainly there'll have to be a little bit of screening, just like there's a little bit of editing <laughs> yeah. of this podcast. Like, but... In my limited experience yeah. from seeing TikTok videos online, there definitely should be some screening. <laughs> so what are we looking for here? <laughs> yeah. but, I, but I think all of these can be hosted within that website. There's going to be a member portal within the website to be able to update and get additional information, pay dues, etc. So all of these things will soon to be released with a much more updated, friendlier, mobile-friendly website soon to come. So I'm really, really excited about that. Yeah, like that's exciting. And and the fact that it's user-friendly makes a huge difference because the worst thing is you want a website even if you're interested and you want to find something, if it's hard to look or use, you're going to move on. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that it's going to be user-friendly and mobile-friendly because we're all on our cell phones right nowadays, that's perfect. So switching gears a little bit, your practice in Alberta has a bit of a unique model, especially when it comes to regards to anesthesia. Any details that you can provide us on how it works? Yeah, so essentially quite a few years ago, well before I came back to Alberta, there were several practices that started an anesthesia based model. So essentially, we hire on an anesthesiologist as an independent contractor to essentially run a list for us. And instead of being in the hospital, we have an outpatient surgical facility that's accredited both through our dental organization, our medical organization, and our health system. And through that, we essentially can provide IV sedation, general anesthesia, and then certainly intermix that with locals, consults, et cetera, because you have another provider helping you throughout the day. So what would you say are the pros and cons of this model? I'll, I'll just jump in right now. And 
Oscar and I have talked a ton about, you know, pediatric patients. If you have medical anesthesiologists and GA capabilities, I mean, that's literally not a stress in your life at all anymore. Yeah. And we talked about, obviously, medically compromised patients. You kind of have backup and not having to worry about the anesthesia side at all. To me, and I might be wrong, con that jumps to my mind is, okay, one of the things about oral surgery is that we are unique, that we provide anesthesia and do surgery at the same time. There's a financial benefit from being remunerated for the anesthesia and the surgery. And also, what if someone were to say, well, look, in Alberta, oral surgeons don't do their own anesthesia. They only trust the medical guys. Like, those are the pros and cons that jump into my mind. But what do you think, having worked in that environment? And do you agree with me or disagree? So I think I will agree and disagree all in the same statement. But essentially, the, the biggest things... I think are, and you've highlighted them, we have a very unique specialty. We can provide anesthesia and surgery. However, there are a lot of circumstances where you want to really be more focused on the surgery, whether you're trying to get a wisdom tooth out wrapped around the nerve. Last thing you want to be worrying about is just pumping them full of a little bit more anesthetic to make sure they're not moving, fighting their tongue, et cetera. And I think the bigger thing is is especially more recently, there has been a shift from a safety perspective in having to provide two provider deep or general anesthesia, deep sedation or general anesthesia. And that's not just in Alberta. I, I think there has been a little bit of a push uh, across the provinces and certainly in the US with that. And it's all centered around safety. And from our safety perspective, Yes, pediatric patients, yes, medically compromised patients, you don't have to worry about that management. But even for your super healthy 18-year-old, just think of it, if all you specifically had to worry about was just taking out those teeth and doing it as efficiently as possible, there's a benefit to that. And while I won't say that it, I take my mind away from anesthesia. I'm still right there. There's quite a few cases that I will actually intubate the patient to keep my skills set up. And you have a secondary provider right there. You can make it far more efficient and timely if you're doing it in a true provider. Your nursing staff can at times just focus on the surgical aspect of things and just focus on the anesthesia aspect of things. So it allows them to be a bit more able to help out in the situation and not feel like they're, you know, swayed one way or another. And part of it is when you have somebody else, just as you guys are on your podcast, you can shoot the shit throughout the case, the entire case, and just talk about whatever. And you're not yeah. super hyper-focused or stressed. And I think that's a, a big reward. And we've seen certainly that there is no perfect system. And I'm not advocating that every single provider should do this. And there's still quite a few in Alberta that do do their own sedations. But the convenience of and safety of, you know, doing a GA, even if a small little fragment of a tooth goes somewhere you don't want it to, when you're under a GA, you have a throw pack in place, and it's much easier to keep things clean. And the cases do go a uh, quite a bit more smoothly, in my opinion, just because you're not fighting a tongue, you're not fighting that gag reflex, and you're able to be efficient with your movements. So, And while they're recovering the patient, I can go in and do a consult on somebody else. So you're able to kind of fill that dual role. 
And like Miller, like that's amazing from my perspective, like you're preaching to the choir. I, I don't know about Wendell yet because he hasn't really experienced it. I think it's the ideal method in, in my opinion. And obviously I haven't been out that long. So people may say, oh, what do you know? But it, as I transition further in my career, that's the method, the model I would like to be. I think it is just a smoother day. So we have it like twice a month, like each surgeon gets about twice a month. And they're the less stressful days of the month because yeah, you're only worrying about the surgery. And like you said, you're kind of laughing with the anesthesia team and like you're just shooting the shit while you're doing the case because you're not worried about that part. Just before you get to that, though, I just want to interrupt. The other thing that we really haven't touched upon is by having those anesthesiologists come into your facility. And if they're still affiliated with the hospital, they are now your advocate. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So you're you're even talking to the next step. Like if we need to push for something or we need to, you know, really make sure that we're getting a say at the table, they will push for that. They know that we are super strong in our skill set around the airway, that we're super strong in our skill set in doing traumas. And just as Wendell knows, when he went down to Carolina, when you have an outpatient surgical facility, you're doing much more than just dental alveolar. Now you're doing trauma. Now you're doing more significant bone grafting or pretty much any outpatient procedure. So even in our facility and the ones in Edmonton, we're doing outpatient orthognathic surgery. So most commonly, it's still single jaw mandibles. It's uh, single jaw sarpies. Laforts, we're still doing through the hospital setting, mostly because also we we do get hospital time, so we want to use it. But it, it does expand your scope and what you can offer to patients in a very timely manner. And so, okay, now I have two questions after hearing that. So the first question, I'm going to continue with what you're just talking about. When you're offering these patients orthognathic surgery in your surgery center, are they covered? Like by like ours, we have OHIP right here, our publicly funded healthcare. Are yours being covered by the publicly funded healthcare or is it a private now patient thing? No. So in, in Alberta, those of us that are providing it are covered through a contract publicly funded system. So Alberta That's Health awesome. Services. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So Alberta Health Services will. We've negotiated for them to provide us with facility fee for those outpatient cases. And then Alberta Healthcare, which is our you know insurance provider within the province, they will pay for the surgery. So you, you have kind of a dual payment model, which is beneficial. And because we have to get accredited by Alberta Health Services, essentially... They're the ones that help dictate, you know, contracts and support for that, et cetera. Wow. That's very impressive. So that's something a little different. Are, are you interested in two young, keen surgeons? <laughs> Maybe that love Alberta. <laughs> that love, that love. You keep talking about how great Toronto is, but yeah. If I wasn't born in Toronto, I'd never live here. Oh, 100%. Like now. You I, never picked Toronto as a city. No, no. What if, what if we only had one? You guys fight it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he took member of the month, so I think. <laughs> but Oscar, you will have to get some privileges and go through the hospital and, you know, oh, take call. But so that goes to my second question. So, Miller, are you guys running all your sedation cases on those specific days? Or like what happens if a patient comes in and emerge and they need to be sedated that day? What do you guys do? Yeah, so if we... so. In our group, we have a group practice. Uh, Within our group, we take call and 
on our call week, we will have time set aside at the end of the day. So many times if there's a trauma coming in, you haven't necessarily assessed them. So they come in a little bit early in the morning. As we know, not all of our traumas are the most reliable individuals. Some are excellent, but some may be just minding their own business and we're in an altercation of some sort. So Mm -hmm. you budget in a little bit of time to make sure that what you're doing is going to be safe and you give time for the anesthesiologist to assess that patient and pending all those things align, then yeah, you can offer for it to be done closer to the end of the day. And, and our staff know that on the weeks that we're on call, there may be things that we're adding and they're very flexible in that scheduling. And so this will be the last question. Do you guys have an anesthesia anesthesiologist every day in the office? So it depends. We schedule our GA day. We call them GA days, but yeah. essentially our sedation, general anesthesia, or anesthesiologist required yeah. days. And based on that, on any given day at our current surgical facilities, we own two surgical facilities. One has three ORs, the other has two ORs. So we can have up to you know, three surgeons, three anesthesiologists going, or we could take a one anesthesiologist, one surgeon model and flip-flop between two ORs throughout the day. That's awesome. That's awesome. As you know, on the podcast, we like to do a resident reminder section. And when we have a guest, we really like to try and involve them just to get their opinion as well. And, you know, we're trying to teach residents things and Oscar and I do the best we can, but usually our guests, and this is no exception, has a lot more experience than we do, but we try and pick a topic that would be of interest to our entire listener base. I want you to kind of guide your inches more towards residents if you can, but you're a practice owner or you have, you have a partnership, as you mentioned. And a lot of residents, one of the stresses they have is as they get further along in residency is applying for a job. Now, as I said before, we're lucky that in Canada particularly, there's very few programs, very few gra- graduates. It's kind of like a supply and demand issue where you graduate, there's definitely going to be people looking to hire someone. So, as you, someone that does do interviews and, you know, has to think about hiring or things like that, what should residents look out for for interviewing a job and what matters in the potential practice? So what I mean is, what are you looking at? And then also, what should the resident be evaluating when looking at a practice? Very good question. I think for anybody coming to any job, your first part is, it's unlikely, except in very specific cir- circumstances, that you're going to be handed the keys right away and you're going to have a turnkey establishment. So it's how are you going to transition from that resident role into an associate or independent contractor role within an organization? So that's probably number one. And then how does that organization fit within your goals, whether it's within the hospital setting or just private practice? And the two of you are very contrasting examples of that. One is more private practice. One has a hospital-based role. So are you able to interview for that hospital position right off the bat? Is it something that you're going to have to earn? That is going to be a big choice for some people because as we know in many places across the country, there aren't many of us and it's hard to just create an uptick in positions right off the bat. Budgets, Budgets are constrained. Hospitals aren't going to say, you know, you want another surgeon, here you go. So in some circumstances, you have to be of the mindset that you have to enter that equation, be a subservient associate and may not even do what you want to do 
trying to get into the hospital. So I, I would say that, you know, Wendell, yours and my experiences are probably a bit more unique in that we came straight out of fellowship. We could get some privileging and that's great. But many of the positions out there that are being advertised don't necessarily have hospital privileging associated with it. Yeah, and, then you have to, and then when you start thinking about that, it's like, how long do you want to be in that role before you get into the hospital? And where are you going to be comfortable with having a little bit of an attrition of, of skill set, right? So you're going to get really good hands-on capabilities with interacting with patients, doing dental alveolar, doing stuff in an outpatient setting. What is feasible in not operating in a hospital? And when you do get to operate in a hospital, are you still going to feel comfortable? So knowing that there's those different divides across the country is, I think, very important. And having those open discussions on when it may be feasible that positions are going to open up. Like, we know that people retire and hopefully many places have retirement plans for those surgeons, for those positions that you as a new resident coming in could fill that role or have the skill set to fill that role. And then I think that the biggest things that everyone is scared about is, you know, what am I going to earn? What's the proper amount? And I would say that, just as you said, we are very fortunate. We're in a part private, part public system where at the end of the day, people like Marco or Fritz can talk about having boats because they worked hard and they can... They can <laughs> Marco and Fritz there. taking a beating on attention. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but but I think it, it's, it's important to, to know that we'll all live a very good life. Oscar, you have a nice car. Nick McCool, who's almost exclusively in academics, I guess just bought a nice car as I heard from the last <laughs> podcast. Oh, now this I can get on. If we're taking shots at McCool, now I can get on board. <laughs> These aren't shots. This is just saying to all residents, like part of it is we know that everyone has big debt and you're going to step into this new role and it's how are you going to you know pay for the bills and pay off the loans and, and do all these things. And I have to imagine that many people have the best interest of, you know, the associate at heart. Some, some may not, but it's going to be going into those negotiations and sorting out what is that magic sweet spot that everyone can agree on. And if there's a, a capability of buying into that practice, when is the right time to look at doing so? So some people, you have to wait a set amount of time before you buy in. Some will roll over part of your earnings into a buy-in. So those are all things that I think are super important. Each place is unique. I think those were all really, really helpful points because it is a different perspective when we talk to a practice owner, right? Because mm -hmm. we're both associates or, or new grads, so it's a little bit different. And that last point you just brought up, like what would be a normal time to buy into practice versus just continuing to associate? And should you have that plan from the get-go? Like if you're going back to when you started your career, would you want to have known that plan from the get-go? Or do you think it's something that develops as you work in a practice? I think it could be variable based on age. So I came out reasonably young. I knew that coming into a group practice, that's what I wanted to do, but the group still has to feel you out and you have to feel the group out. So at that time, I was given a two-year associateship. The first year was salary. And basically, the reason for the salary is they didn't know how busy I was going to be. They didn't know how much time I was going to 
commit to going out and marketing myself and doing other things. So I think that was a, a feasible way to make sure that I earned an income and I could do what they wanted me to do, but at the same time have a hospital based role, which is what I wanted to do in that, in that setting. And, you know, I, I learned from that and I could transition into purchasing the practice over that two years. Other places, certainly there's a quicker transition. So it may be as short as six to 12 months. Is that right? I think in certain circumstances, absolutely, because you find out very quickly if you're the right personality and you have to just trust your gut. If it doesn't feel right, it won't be right. So you you just have to either make that decision to find a different place or to figure out a different negotiation strategy. Yeah, you can't be afraid to walk away. Yeah, yeah. And I do, I do think sometimes as residents, you get used to, you're going to stick things out, right? Yeah, we're not quitters. But, we're not, yeah, we're like not. you're like, I'm going to make this work, but you do have to find like, like another thing, something that's right for you. Yeah, especially it's going to be the rest of your life and you're investing a lot of money into it. I mean, speaking of that, we said sometimes you have to walk away, Miller. What do you think, maybe anecdotally, you've heard from your friends or you've seen from your area or other areas or being involved with the CAMS? What are some red flags that a resident should look out for? Like, what would be maybe a warning sign that eh, be careful with that practice or that kind of idea? Yeah, I mean, not having a certain timeline written out, like nothing in writing that you can go back to, to, you know, enforce or to to discuss at a a much more agreed upon level. I think that's going to be the biggest one. The second one, making sure you do have a contract. Whenever there's not a contract, people can just toss you the curbside pretty <laughs> easily and, and handedly. You can see like some wounds opening up. It's like, I don't know, there's some personal experience there. <laughs> no, 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 I, not at all for me. But I, I know like some people and my wife was an example. She she fortunately didn't have a contract at one of her employments. And as such, she could walk away without too much concern. Whereas if you're bound by a contract to very difficult restrictions, you know, you may second choose where you want to be. So it, and certainly a place like Alberta, where it's one city, you know, Calgary is just over a million is very different than Toronto, which is 5 million. So what, what is, what is an appropriate distance be restricted from another office. It's hard to say in some circumstances. And even long-term relationships, you know, you try and make them work, try and make them work. Sometimes they, even those ones still fizzle because as we age, as we grow, as life happens, as COVID happens, our goals change. So you have to be a little bit adaptable. So, I mean, you had sent us some notes for the podcast. Is this the part of the episode where you wanted to inform Graham Cobb he's no longer needed at your group practice? Should we we give you the floor to do that now? (laughs) You're fired. Is is Graham even a listener? Uh, Graham said he tunes in every episode. Yeah, he's probably lying, but hey, we'll, we'll, if we'll not, see. If not, we'll send him an email with the info. But I mean, you've mentioned many times you've referenced the podcast. We like you. You're a loyal listener. You've been listening since the beginning. You really support us, you and yeah. Tony, since the beginning, really being adamant that this is something that the CAMS should, uh, should support and promote. You tune in each month. Oscar, I didn't tell you this, but Miller claims, I mean, he can defend himself, but he claims he listens to the podcast at 1.5 times speed. <laughs> Which is a thing with podcasts. People yeah, often yeah. listen to them at a faster rate. But you and I have to go back and listen to every episode before we publish it to make sure it's fine, editing, blah, blah, blah. 
I can barely follow along at normal speed. So am I missing something here? Like, do you actually listen to us at one and a half times speed? Absolutely. And you talk very slow, Wendell. You talk slow. (laughs) I find I talk so fast. I know I talk fast. I talk really fast. Wow. Yeah, Oscar, you are a bit harder to pay attention to a 1.5 yeah. speed. But. For sure. Because I'm like, <laughs> yeah, 100%. I will say, though, he gets a comment because he's given a lot of the recommendations. Yeah, you've yeah. been on the recommendations I've a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, from your perspective, why do you tune each month and what do you enjoy about the show? I enjoy the variety. Like, without a doubt, you're talking about as an example, COMS, you're talking about what the members enjoy doing, what their passion is. Then you're talking about what to teach residents and then randomly a book here or there or (laughs) Netflix. And I'm sure there's many things that get edited out that we never hear about, but Meals, like you should have restaurants across Canada or something like that. You That's know actually I mean? good. That's not bad. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, Miller comes with the recommendations all the time. Yeah, you should just be the recommendation he person. Is. <laughs> he, he submitted more recommendations than anyone else, for sure. And remember, we agreed with all of them. Homeland was Yeah, them. 100%. Like, A-plus on all of them. Yeah, there's no question. Homeland just came out with season eight, too, on I Netflix. Saw that. Yeah. No, but that's on Netflix. It already on came Netflix. out. Yeah. On Netflix, but it already came right. out. Like, don't, like, like one of the, our head nurse at our office. She was going crazy. I'm like, you know, that's already been out. Yeah, you've already seen it. It was already out on like normal TV. I actually really enjoyed this one. It's called Heist. Not Money Heist, but Heist. And it's three real life stories of robbery. One of them's called Pappy Gate. And it was back in 2013 when somebody stole millions of dollars worth of Pappy Van Winkle out of Kentucky. Wow. (laughs) I'm going to write that down. Yeah. Is yeah. that is that like a Netflix or is that not a Netflix show? Why are you writing it down when you can just listen to the podcast? <laughs> I'll still forget. <laughs> by, by the time this podcast airs, Oscar will have watched. Yeah, like it I have been watched it for sure. There's no question. You read that book I told you about last time? Absolutely not. <laughs> I won't read a book. No, but so a really good book. I actually enjoyed it. Was Matthew McConaughey's book Green Light? Yeah, people are oh. yeah, people have talked really highly about that book. I've heard about it too. Are you a Matthew McConaughey fan? Uh, I am more now. Actually, I think he's, you know, before he seems like, you know, he's a bit more out there, free living, free spirited, but he's actually a pretty smart guy. Wow. Okay. Yeah. People have liked that book. So honestly, I think you've given a lot of recommendations. Your advice has been really well. Now I think you get the floor. Any shout outs that you'd want to give? I want to shout out to everybody that influenced me during training. And that includes, I don't even know if this guy listens, but Kevin Lung, to be honest. I know he gets a I lot of flack. Don't know if, yeah, I don't, actually don't know if Kevin Lung listens. Interesting enough. Yeah. Part, part of this, I got interrupted because Kevin was calling me during the middle of the Zoom episode. <laughs> then I got my Alberta emergency alert. But yeah, Kevin Lung really inspired me early on. I took a lot of emotional and verbal abuse from him, but it made me stronger. Like, yeah. Without a doubt, I entered my residency ready to go, thinking that if I can tolerate Kevin, I can tolerate anybody. Second one was, and this was when I was doing my GPR, I was a GPR resident under Dave Souden. He was chief in San Antonio at the time. And he was, even though I only rotated with him for about a month, he was actually a good inspiration of what you can be from coming from Canada, training in the U S and wanting to go back to Canada. So I give a shout out to Dave Souden. Once again, I don't know if he listens to this, 
Third shout out, I think, is Sean Edwards. He was my chief resident, legend. super, super mentor, legend, etc. And the, the people I'd like to sh- give a shout out to who actually encouraged me to go to Michigan were Joel Powell and uh, Jeff Watson, who both trained at Dalhousie. And when I interviewed at Dalhousie, they heard I was going to Michigan and they're like, you need to go to Michigan. Sean will teach you everything. So that was a big one. My old boss, Joe Hellman, really inspired us. As an example, Nick McCool went through the same program. He was a year below me. Simon Tushan was a year above me. And you know, all of us came back to Canada and very much felt inspiration from Dr. Hellman through, you know, trying to promote broadening scope and encouraging oral surgery within the hospital community. Yeah, and, and Simon was one of my RCDC oral examiners. examiners. Oh, nice. And I passed, so I liked him too. <laughs> he should have just dropped some French on you and just like examined you exclusively. Everybody through our own private practice. So Brett Habajanic, Graham Cobb, we all work together and for each other. And we've recently moved our offices, which is a huge undertaking. And we've adapted to COVID and modified our practice style through COVID. And I think that's been a a big improvement in how we deal with things. You know, before it was hard to get us you know, even on the phone to discuss things. And now through COVID, we can have very open discussions and agree on things. And it's probably brought us closer together, I would say. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Benefits of COVID. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) One benefit. Here's my next shout out, Chad Robertson, because he's taken over for me and he will do great things. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. As as you said at the beginning, your favorite part is not being president anymore. Yeah. (laughs) I'm at the 11th hour. So I see the transition. Right. So Chad swooping in. I don't envy him. He's going to be president. He's chief OMFS examiner at RCDC. Oh, yeah, He's yeah. chief of oral surgery at Dalhousie. So oh my God. You have a busy he year. Wears, wow. He wears many hats. He used to be like head coach for his kids' hockey team, too. So I don't know if he still does that. And I don't know where he finds time to train, but that guy has beast bike legs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that- I didn't check out his legs, but I mean, he seems like he's a fit guy. Well, next time, <laughs> next time you see him, next time you see him, just say, Chad, show me your legs. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, don't show, think, I don't think I'll do that. <laughs> Chad, show me a cap. <laughs> yeah. Listen, Miller, it was, it was awesome having you on, not only because you're a loyal listener, but obviously we know you and you, you brought a lot to the table, which is yeah. nice. I will say it was worth the wait. I mean, Oscar and I were sitting here for an hour. We've, we've never had to wait for a guest so long. But I mean, you with your family emergencies and, you know, we were speaking of cars before. Hey, so don't say anything, Miller, because Oscar's a car expert and I don't know about cars. No, you're just really bad. I'm not. I'm really bad. But okay, because you're on this family emergency stuff, but you tuned in anyways. You're in your car. I'm going to guess it's a Toyota RAV4. What are you going to guess? Oh, I have no idea. You Just from the view? No, from the interior. You can see the seat. I can see Miller and I see a sunroof. I'm going to guess Toyota RAV4. Really? RAV4? Wowzers. Here, let me, it let me looks a lot you. bigger than a RAV4, though. I'm going to get out. Oscar, you have to say what it is. No. You're, you're better at cars than I am. Oh, oh my God, it's a truck. Oh, it's a Denali. I'm in Alberta, man. Yeah. I think it's a Chevy Subaru. No, it's a Chevy Subaru. What? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just inventing things now. Wow. Do you drive a moped? 
<laughs> Actually, he drives a bike. No, hey, did I tell you this on the podcast? I bought a new car. I thought you were saying you bought a moped. I was about <laughs> yeah. to walk out. <laughs> I need mean, now that I'm. It's a Vespa, sorry. Yeah. No, now that I drive to work, I bought a second car. Oh, you did buy it. I got an Acura. Nice. Yeah. I'm really happy with it. Yeah. Yeah, that was a Nick McCool shout out. He told me he had an Acura for 10 years before he sold out and got his Audi e-tron. Said it served oh, well. he got an wow. Yeah, he got an Audi e-tron. Yeah. He's fancy like but that is nice, Miller. That truck is really nice. Yes. I enjoy it. D- definitely not a RAV4. <laughs> definitely not a RAV4. <laughs> well, it's good. I told you. And it's okay. polar opposite to my wife, which is how we roll. My wife is all electric too. So she, she drives a Tesla. Nice. So actually we should mention that too, before he heads out, like he's been an awesome guest, super credentials, but his wife, yeah. when we're talking about publicity, yeah. we were trying it's, to brag. It's a no contest we, right now. <laughs> we were trying to brag about our listenership earlier. And uh, his wife has, we calculated, 10,000 more, 10,000 10, times more uh, followers, 1,000 times more followers than we do. We weren't trying to brag. You were trying to brag. <laughs> I, if I brag, I'm bragging on behalf of both of us. We are an entity. Yeah, that's true. We're not, we're not co-members of the month, but we are an entity. <laughs> you just need this last little bit on TikTok. Just just yeah. videotape it on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, once we find our CAMS TikToker. That, that's what we'll use them to. We can, we can invite them over your house too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so one last thing. The only thing I ever want to teach anybody and i think it was very well taught to me from sean the guru is always learn from your errors whether it's a mistake a complication something just didn't heal right and you did it if you don't learn from that you'll never kind of get to that next level so i i would say if if you're ever going to try and take anything or gleam anything of any sort from this definitely do that that's what engelstad remember Remember Engelstad said that too? Yeah. He's yeah. like, every every failure is an opportunity to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And outside of that, join COMS if you're not a member and participate. And just as Wendell knows, if you're on a Zoom call and you critique something, you better come with a solution. Right, Wendell? Yeah. Now I've learned that. <laughs> I learned that the hard way. <laughs> I, 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 can, I can feel the vibe in the room. <laughs> well, listen, listen, Miller said, learn from your mistakes. I'm never inviting this guy on the show again. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Miller. It's going to make our website better, isn't it? Yeah, always. <laughs> awesome. I appreciate it. You guys have done an awesome job. I'm no longer angry that I was left to the 11th hour to, to get an interview. <laughs> Yeah, Miller wanted to be on the show for a while. I said, listen. We were just waiting for his presidency to end. And we're surprisingly, (laughs) we're surprisingly fortunate where people volunteer to come on the show. So we got good guests lined up. Yeah. And and you kind of were like, you know, you're not that important yet. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, it's like hospital privileges. You got to earn it. Yeah, you got to earn it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Have a good one, guys. Cheers. Take care. See ya. Bye. All right, thanks to Miller for a great interview. A lot of uh, shots fired in that interview. Honestly, that was a really enjoyable interview. He yeah. was really funny. Like, again, and I think we're downplaying how talented he is and how good his credentials are and everything he's done because we were joking around so much. Yeah. But just a great interview for sure. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Our next topic is Journal Club. Obviously, each month we try and find an article that we really like, either from Jameis or I, Jameis. If we see other articles in, you know, Trauma or other magazine, Triple OP, stuff like that, then... Sometimes we'll delve into those, but usually we've been able to find something relevant in one of those two journals. This comes from IJOMS and from obviously the September issue, and it's entitled, Is there a difference in treatment effect of different intra-articular drugs for temporomandibular joint osteoarthritis? 
a systematic review of randomized controlled trials. This is by Leah Pacquia et al. And it's from the OMFS department at MGH in nice. uh, Boston. Yep. So pre-screening, it's an oral surgeon, we like that. It's a systematic review, randomized control trial, we like that. Yep. Most people would say, oh, it's from Harvard, that's great. But we kind of made a decision that we're not gonna be, you know, have all the starry twinkle eyes just based on the fact that it's from there. No, but I will give it like, looks decently nice, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think it passes our pre-screening. And the basic premise of the article is that, you know, the, the management of temporomandibular joint osteoarthritis still remains controversial. And you have a lot of different people doing different treatment options when it comes to arthrocentesis or just injection of medication. You know, in the OHIP guide here, there are different codes for arthrocentesis or injection of a interretricode drug because some people just do one or the other, some do both. Yep. It really varies. So before we get into what they were talking about, what is your usual management, Oscar, for like an arthrocentesis? Do you, do you use one medication? Do you use no medication? Do you just rinse it out? What, what would you use? So honestly, that's, that's a great question and, and really... Since I've been out, have I done very many orthotheses? No, but I'll tell you in the perspective of when we were working with staff, it really was either we're doing just the orthotheses, just flexing joint out, no actual injections, or with some staff we were putting corticosteroids. But that's it, like here they talk about other things like HA and platelet growth factors, but we didn't do any of that. So it was either just flushing the joint out or corticosteroids. Okay. What did you guys do? So in residency, we would do flush the joint out and then we, with Ringer's lactate, and then we would do hyaluronic acid, so HA, as you said. You did, eh? Yeah, and we would do steroids sometimes, too. What did you guys use as steroid? Kenalog. Yeah. So we never used PRP or PGF or anything yeah. like that. You know, John Nail was on a previous episode with us, TMJ Master. I did reach out to him as well. And also from my experience working with him, he would do a flush with Ringer's lactate, and then he does a mix of, like, Marcane and Kenalog. That's, so that's... And he will give some hyaluronic acid sometimes too. So like, I forgot that, yeah, we actually always give the local anesthetic too. And so that's really, so Dr. Rittenberg, who, who you now know because you're at Sinai with him, he does corticosteroids with, uh, with the local anesthetic. Yeah, okay, so he mixes it. Yeah, it's nice, like a Mark Hain kind of yeah. mix. Yeah. Uh, 40 milligrams of Kenalog, just in case anyone's wondering, that's how much we would give normally per side. So basically they're trying to look into this, into this article and see is one better than the other. The method was a PICO framework, so pretty standard. Population was individuals with TMJ osteoarthritis. The intervention was the injection of hyaluronic acid, corticosteroids, blood products. Whether or not they had an arthrocentesis, I've actually never seen someone just inject without doing an arthrocentesis, just because it's so easy to do an arthrocentesis. I've never. Uh, Have you seen just straight up an injection? I think maybe like rheumatologists might do that more, but for us, I think it's always with the arthrocentesis. Yeah, like I, I haven't personally seen it now. So the comparison was using the different injectables or just using only normal saline or Ringer's lactate. And what their outcomes were, were joint pain and maximum mouth opening. So I like their outcomes. Yep. I mean, that's what we care about. Can that's the patient open their mouth? That's really all you care about. That's really all you care about. So they had 1,507 articles after duplicates were removed. They narrowed it down to 25 that they actually read. And another 25, based on their inclusion criteria, they included nine in the systematic review. There were 443 patients. And then in the results, basically, I mean, also this was something that you found kind of funny, but <laughs> they said arthrocentesis followed by HA injection of HA without arthrocentesis also works. Arthrocentesis plus PRP works. PRP without arthrocentesis works. Corticosteroids or corticosteroids with arthrocentesis also works. And then just arthrocentesis with nothing also works. It's not like I have 
an issue with the article because this is what the point of it is, right? They're trying to find out what works and what doesn't. But at the end, when I was reading, I was like, okay, so everything works pretty much. Yeah, but that's kind of a, a nice thing. It is, yeah. And I think that one way you can know that there's controversy on this topic or, or maybe not a, a established guidelines is so many people do so many different things. And, and yeah, there's not one standard. There isn't one standard. So one thing they did talk about in the discussion is Basically, the results do summarize that all these different things work. However, it was also proven that flushing with just Ringer's lactate was able to significantly improve the mouth opening and TMJ pain. And they had good follow-up, you know, usually six months, 12 months, 24 months. They didn't really find any major differences between the injectables. Some, one study I think said PRP was a little bit better. Probably the manufacturers of that like centrifuge yeah. they sell or whatever. <laughs> um, How much did you invest? Yeah, exactly. But I think that People go with what they're kind of trained with and, and what they feel like works. I do think the arthrocentesis is the major factor because you're flushing out the joint. You're getting rid of adhesion just by the pressure of injection. You're flushing out inflammatory mediators. And then if you inject a steroid or a marcaine, it is providing some relief or That's benefit. Like an added bonus to me. So they mentioned that in conclusion, all injectables in conjunction with arthrocentesis or not, help patients with their mouth opening and osteoarthritis pain. However, they did mention because the studies follow different protocols, follow-up periods, and meta-analysis was not possible, therefore they recommend more RCTs. I don't know. I think maybe we should just call it on this one. Like, arthrocentesis works, and if you want to use adjuvant medication, go for it. That's that's what I, like, if we found discrepant, like, information or results that were contradictory, I'd say, okay, let's do more studies. This pretty much seems to say everything is working. So do we really need more follow-ups? Probably not. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I will say it's rare in a TMJ topic to find kind of a solution to any problem. Yeah. Usually these patients are really hard to manage, but arthrocentesis is something that can really help a lot of people. And it's kind of reassuring to know that a lot of the different stuff works. I was also happy that they said normal saline was fine because I, I will confess that one of the arthrocentesis that I did might have been recently, might have not been, you know, whenever. <laughs> Part of me was a little bit worried because I was trained that, oh, we you get black. so taught, like, oh, it has to be this. Yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of happy that this is normal. So you're like, you know, I'm good. just going to quote this article. Yeah. So good to know for those of us that do arthrocentesis and those that are interested. That for, patient's also been closed locked for two weeks. <laughs> for residents, you, you really want to know these different medications and kind of how much you would dose and, and what you would give and what the purpose is. But we did a, we did a really big resident reminder on arthrocentesis before, yeah. so they can go back to listen to our episode with Dr. Nail. So that's it for Journal Club. Let's move on to our final section, recommendations. Okay, Oscar, so I'm going to kick off this month's recommendation just because I already know I'm going to get paid for this recommendation. You've already given me some kind of snide look. Yeah. But this recommendation, you have to give me this. Out of all the recommendations we've done, this recommendation by far is the most boring. For sure. But also applies to the most percentage of our listeners, for sure. Yeah. 100% that's going to be true. So one of one of the things that I was told, you know, that I've been dealing with trying to, you know, the, the voice, the throat issues that I mentioned in a previous episode, obviously we had a little bit of a podcast hiatus. One of the things they were talking about is try and keep hydrated. That can really help with speaking, with, with health and things like that. And I'm someone that really never drank water. I yep. just don't drink it regularly. I think a lot of people were busy with surgery going back and forth. You don't stop to drink water. So my recommendation as lame as it is, is just to drink more water. And wow, <laughs> to, to facilitate that, I bought one of those. Everyone makes fun of me that they see me in person. I have this massive two I'm liter. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it's a two liter uh, water bottle. It's even larger than you think if you're trying to picture it. And the nice thing is you fill it up at the beginning of the day. And as long as you drink one of them by the end of the day, you pretty much 
had enough water for that day. So it kind of helps me keep on track and make sure I'm drinking enough. Honestly, I want to make fun of you because like, it's such a lame thing, but it is true. Like you'll get caught up in residency being so busy. So you want to work. I mean, how often do you drink? Yeah, no, it's true. Like you start running around, you forget it. And if, and this bottle, as funny as it looks, it tells you how you're going throughout the day. So yeah, it has a little timestamp. Yeah. Like I'll give you credit. Like I think it actually does make sense. Yeah. So that's my lame recommendation, but if it even helps one person, you know, drink more and be healthier, that's great. Yeah. For you. So mine, actually, I just started this this series kind of like two days ago. So I haven't really, I'm going to get a recommendation before I finish the series, which is not Ooh. something I usually do. Ooh, risky. Yeah. But I will risky. say the timing is is kind of appropriate. So I started watching the new 9-11 series on Netflix. What's it called? It's, it's 9-11 the day after or something like that? So turning point 9-11, yeah. the war on terror. Yeah. And I- how is that? I was and so I watched the first episode. Again, I only watched the first episode, but the first episode was really interesting and almost a little bit difficult to watch, I'll be honest, um, because I started watching it around like 9-11. And the videos they show, I guess maybe I've never seen it that clearly or never focused on it that much, but I will say it was really well done that first episode. So what's it about? It's kind of about the, like obviously the events of 9-11, yeah. but the backstory of how it came to be and things that may have played a role into these attacks happening. Mm. That's all I've seen so far. I don't yeah. know what goes on in the next ones. Okay. Well, I mean, it's risky. Uh, it's always risky to get a recommendation. Like before, before, before finishing a hundred percent, but so far I, I really like it. So we'll see next time what I'll say about it. Okay. I mean, it's definitely on Netflix. It's popped up on mine a lot too. I, I was kind of interested. So I'm interested to kind of follow up and see if you like the rest of it or not. Yeah. Like by next, well, actually probably by two days from now, I'll have it finished. Yeah, but, sure. but definitely by next podcast, I'll let you know what I think of it. Awesome. Well, that's it for this episode. We really enjoyed having our guest Miller Smith. And we'd like to thank all of you guys for listening. If you want to get in contact with us, please do email us teethandtitaniumomfs at gmail.com. Listener reach out after last episode. Yeah. Dental anesthesiologist Derek. Yeah. So Derek reached out, a uh, super nice guy. And he said he's a dental anesthesiologist. He's awesome. Very nice guy. He listens to every episode because he said it's nice to hear like the other side and also just it's a variety and it's another specialty. So that's pretty cool, I thought. Yeah, that's great. I didn't realize we had non-oral surgeon uh, listeners, so that was pretty awesome. So thanks to Derek. But yeah, if you want to reach out to us, we always love hearing from our listeners, teethandtitaniumomfs at gmail.com. If you are going to Nashville to the Amos meeting, please do reach out to me. It'd be cool to hang out and meet up in person. They do have a, a bunch of Canadian events going on, so we'll be there. And uh, that's it for this month. We will see you guys next time. Take care, guys. Bye.